Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. The question for this half hour is, how am I to live out my Christian life? Does the Bible have any practical day-to-day -day advice on how I can live the Christian life? Well, it has lots of advice, but especially this paragraph is full with a potpourri of different things Christians do to live the Christian life. Would you take out a Bible, turn in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, and just from one paragraph, let's learn all kinds of advice on how to live your life for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do want to live for your glory and the glory of Christ, but that can be very difficult. Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would come speak to us now on how to live our lives for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, practical advice for living the Christian life. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Let love of the brethren, that's your Christian brothers and sisters, let love of the brethren continue. The first piece of advice for living the Christian life is continue to love the brethren. And maybe this is said because it can be awfully hard to continue to love some of our Christian brothers and sisters. I remember sitting at a desk in a youth director was sitting at his desk, and I was on, uh, in front of him, and I saw the sign on his desk, God loves you, and I'm trying. <laughs> if you've ever been a youth director, I have, you understand that. So the first piece of advice is to continue to love your Christian brothers and sisters. And there, there's two reasons to do that. First reason is from John 13, 35, where Jesus says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Did you catch that? The first reason we, we, we love people, it shows the world that we belong to Christ. When you love Christian brothers and sisters, you're showing the world you belong to Christ. I remember a couple telling me about a church that they had to leave because there was so much gossiping and backbiting going on in the church. And see, see, that's what happens if you don't love, you don't show the world anything. But a second reason to love the brethren is from 1 John 3:14. We know that we have passed out of death to life because we love the brethren. So the second reason we continue to love, it shows us that we are truly saved. When you are loving people that are difficult to love, that's an evidence of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. It shows that the Holy Spirit is in your life, Christ is in your life. It's an evidence of your salvation. So continue to love is the first thing we're told to do because it'll show the world you belong to Christ and prove to yourself that something has happened for your salvation. Next piece of advice in verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Second piece of advice, show hospitality to strangers. And, and we do this for two reasons. First reason is the stranger might be an angel, this, this verse says. You remember when Abraham was in his tent and three men showed up 
and he was very nice to them, gave them food, etc. Turns out those three men were angels. And if you're nice to some stranger, it might not be a stranger, it might be an angel. I remember years ago, a very Christian woman that I knew said that she was in an apartment talking with her friend about God. And this friend had all kinds of hard questions about God. And the doorbell rang, and, and a, a guy came in and sat down with them and starts answering this person's questions perfectly. And later the guy got up and left, and her friend turned to her and said, who, who was that? And she said, I thought that was a friend of yours. Didn't you know? No, I thought that was a friend of yours. And, and the friend said, well, let's go chase him. And my friend said, no, I wonder if that wasn't an angel. <laughs> so be good to strangers because they could be an angel. A second reason, though, to be good for, for, to strangers is from Matthew 25, where Jesus said, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And then they will say, when did we, you, were you a stranger and we welcomed you? Jesus said, the, as you did it to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Second reason to be nice to strangers, not just that they could be an angel, but the way you treat strangers is the way you treat Christ. So be nice to strangers. Next of advice for, for living the Christian life is verse 3. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who were ill-treated, since you yourselves are in the body. Next advice, remember those in prison. Lucian was a satirist and an enemy of the Christian faith back in 130 AD, and he wrote these words about Christian persecution. Christians left no stone unturned in their endeavor to procure his release. Some Christian had been thrown in jail. When this proved impossible, they looked after his wants in all other matters with untiring devotion. From earliest dawn, old women and orphan children might be seen waiting outside the prison doors while the elders of the church, by bribing the jailers, were able to spend the night inside with him. Meals were brought in and they went through their sacred formulas, their, their prayers. Do you know that some early Christians sold themselves into slavery to get money to get other Christians released? So do you, do you do this? Do you remember those who are in prison for the Lord? I want to encourage you to do this. I get this magazine every month. Go to persecution.org, it's free. An International Christians Concern, an agency that helps persecuted Christians overseas, they'll send you their magazine telling you some horror stories of beheadings and, other, and church burnings and bombs, but it'll, it'll help you to read and pray for these Christians who are in prison. Persecution.org, uh, there's the address, or you can call that phone number, 800-ICC-5441. Get the free magazine, and remember those who are in prison. Next verse, verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. Next important piece of advice, honor marriage. We live in a culture that does not honor marriage anymore. What we, what we honor is living together. Do you know that 90% of the sex on TV is between people who are not married? And this is, is frightening to me. A recent Gallup poll of all Americans found this. 68% of all Americans approve of premarital sex. 63% of Americans approve of homosexual behavior. 
We don't honor marriage anymore. The Bible says honor heterosexual marriage. And why should we honor marriage so much? Three big reasons. Let me give them to you. Number one, we honor marriage because it brings children. The first commandment God gives to Adam and Eve is be fruitful and multiply. You know, go out and God wants to keep this planet populated, and the way he does that, best way, is through marriage. A, a second reason to honor marriage, it prevents sexual sin. Paul the Apostle writes, 1 Corinthians 7, better to marry than to burn with lust. So, you know, if you've got a real healthy, strong sex drive, good idea to get married. <laughs> and, and, and a third reason to honor marriage is it provides companionship. God said, it is not good that the man Adam should be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So for the sake of, for sake of having kids, sake of preventing sexual sin, and for the sake of your own companionship, marriage is a good thing. Honor it. Hold it in honor. Now, I'm single, and I want to say to all the single people out there, being single is good too. Paul the Apostle who was single, and Jesus who was single, Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 7 says, if you can handle being single, that's great because you'll have more time to serve the Lord. But whatever state you're in, married or single, everybody is to honor marriage. Because maybe what was happening in Hebrews 13, maybe there were false teachers saying, it's more holy to be single than to be married. And the Bible says, no, no, marriage itself is an honorable institution invented by God himself. <laughs> Look at verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Here's the next lesson. Stay sexually pure, for God will judge. When it says there, the marriage bed is to be undefiled, that means you wait till you're married to have sex. Like I used to teach the confirmation students, the 12-year-olds, no ring, no ring-a-ding-ding, no wedding, no bedding. We have to say that. You know, I'm amazed. When I talk to, to people, I'll say to them, when you were growing up, did your mom or dad ever tell you to wait till you're married to have sex? Overwhelmingly, you know what I get? I'm going to say nine out of ten times, my parents didn't say one word to me about sex. Christian parents, sit Judy and Ed down, tell them you'll wait. I mean, I, I, my mom did this. My mom, when I was 12 years old, and she did it again when I was 14, said, Tommy, sex is a beautiful thing. God created it, but wait till you're married to have sex. I'm so glad she did that. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 says. Fornicators won't go to heaven. Look at, look at the rest of, of, uh, of, of verse 4. It says... For fornicators, that means people having sex outside of, mar of marriage, and adulterers, that means people who are unfaithful to their spouse, God will judge. So God will judge. That's a future tense. On the last day, God will judge you. I mean, some pe I heard somebody say, God doesn't care who we sleep with. According to this verse, he does, and you will be judged on the last day. But it's not just a future judgment. There's present tense judgment going on. John MacArthur, a Christian preacher, said these words, Judgment already exists in the broken homes, the venereal disease, the psychological and physical breakdowns, and the murder and other violence that is generated when passion is uncontrolled. It is not possible to live and act contrary to the moral grain of the universe established by God and not suffer terrible consequences. Verse 5. 
make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Next piece of, of advice, don't love money. Charles Spurgeon was a famous English preacher back in the 1800s and he wrote this, I have heard many people share how they have sinned and I have had people come to me making confession of sin. But in all my life, I've never had one person confess the sin of covetousness to me. <laughs> and I, I read that and I thought, that's been my experience. I mean, sometimes people confess their sins to me and I pray, you know, for them, etc. Once an elderly man and wealthy man came into my office and confessed to me that he loves money too much. It's happened once. <laughs> so, you know, and, and let's talk about the love of money. I mean, America has changed on this one, too. When I was little, they had casinos in Las Vegas. Now they're all over America. You're standing in line to try to pay for your gasoline. You've got to wait for three people to buy their lottery tickets, you know. And just money, money, money. There's a story back in the 1800s of a preacher in Colorado who decided to take a break from preaching and to pan for gold. And he caught the gold dust fever. And he just forgot about preaching and went after gold. Finally, he had a, a little bag of gold dust. But when it realized, he realized what had happened to his heart, it says that he went and he took that bag of gold dust on the top of a hill on a windy day and he flung it out to the wind. <laughs> Don't love money. And how do I get, if you have a love for money, how do you get over that? Well, look, look at the, the rest of verse 5. Make sure your character is free from the love of money. How? Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. How do you get over the love of money? Trust the promise that God will take care of you. There's a promise in Hebrews 13.5. If you trust the Lord, he will take care of you. If you trust that promise, you're going to end up loving God more than you love your bank account. Verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Here's the next piece of advice. Imitate your leaders. Can you think of someone who led you closer to the Lord? Imitate that person's faith. I mean, I've been blessed in my life all along my life. I've had different people that God has popped up in my life, Christian people, and I've been able to imitate their faith. Can you think of people like that? Imitate their faith. Verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Here's the next piece of advice. Jesus doesn't change. So here is a young college woman, and I had preached a sermon on the sin of having sex outside of marriage. She got a little upset. She came to me for counseling. Well, Pastor Brock, I am, uh, my boyfriend and I are sexually active, but we love each other, and nothing is wrong with this. I said, oh, really? Well, what about 1 Corinthians 6, where it says fornicators don't go to heaven? Well, who wrote that? I said, the Apostle Paul wrote that. When did he write that? 
We wrote it about, I don't know, 50 AD. Well, things have changed. I said, have they? Let's look. Fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, yes, but God understands that we love each other and, uh, and things have changed. Well, have they? Uh, fornicators will. I mean, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, whether you like it or not, it's in the Bible. And more than one place, Jesus and the apostles say that fornication is a sin. And it's not a little sin. Fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're living in that, you need to repent for the sake of your soul. Jesus doesn't change, and beware of pastors and bishops who are telling us today that, yes, he has. No, he hasn't. All right, well, one last thing today. You know, we don't have sacrifices anymore. When, when, when we sin, we don't kill lambs like they did in the Old Testament. The sacrifices are over because Jesus, our lamb, has been killed. But in the New Testament, and today, there are still three sacrifices we Christians are to offer to the Lord. Let's look and see what it is. Number one, sacrifice, verse 15. Through Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So there's three sacrifices left that we Christians offer. The first one is continually praise God. When you're praising God, thanking him, you're offering him a sacrifice. I mean, I got into a habit, and I encourage you to do this. I do this every night virtually before I go to bed. I think back through the day, and okay, thank you, God, you did this. God, thank you for this. I thank God for five things at the end of the day that he did for me that day. Develop that praise habit. One sacrifice we can still offer is thanksgiving. A second sacrifice is in, in the next verse, and do not neglect doing good. The second sacrifice is when we do good unto the Lord, we're sacrificing, and he's pleased with that. I mean, I, I, I read the story of a man by the name of Stephen. Where did it go? Oh, well. <laughs> Stephen Cortland, was that his last name? When he was a young man, his friend said, come and I'll make, you, I'll make you rich. Stephen said, but I have been called by the Lord to start Sunday schools. And so years later, he bumps into his old friend. You would have made $50,000 by now had you come with me. And, and Stephen said, but you don't understand. I have 50,000 young people in Sunday school because of what I've done in recent years. When you do good like that, putting God first, that's a sacrifice. And... The third sacrifice is in verse 16. For with doing good and sharing with such sacrifices, the Lord is pleased. The, the first sacrifice is praising him. Second sacrifice is doing good. Third sacrifice is when you share. That's a, that's a sacrifice with which God is pleased. They asked um, a certain doctor, what did you do this week? The doctor said, on Monday, I preached the gospel in Brazil. Tuesday, I ministered to Mexicans in Texas. Wednesday, I operated on patients in Africa. Thursday, I taught a mission school in Japan. Friday, I helped establish a new church in California. Saturday, I taught classes in our seminaries in Korea. And the man said, there's no way you can travel in time to get to all those places. And he said, I didn't. I had to be with my patients all week, but I make a lot of money, and I send it to these agencies so I can do all that every week. When you thank God, you're sacrificing. When you do good, you're sacrificing. When you share, you're sacrificing. 
Let, let, let me ask you this, though. Have you ever sacrificed to the point where it hurts, where you actually feel it? Story of a pig and a hen walking down the street. They see a big billboard, ham and eggs breakfast. And the chicken says to the pig, shall we go? And the pig says, oh no, for you to give, it's an offering. For me to give, it's a sacrifice. <laughs> and the question is, have you ever given, have I ever given to the point where we actually feel it, where we sacrifice? The, the Lord loves that. I'll close with this. There's a story that many years ago, a, a rich Norwegian farmer stood on his porch looking over the valley. He owned all the land his eyes could see. Well, he decided to take a walk and he walked down the road and here in a little shack was an old hired hand, old Hans, and, and Hans is praying over his little, little meal. And the farmer says, well, hi Hans, how are you today? It was fine, sir, what are you doing? Well, I'm just thanking the Lord for this food. Well, that's not much of a meal. Well, it's all I need. And the, the old Hans said, but sir, funny you should stop by. I had a dream last night. And the dream said, the richest man in the valley will die tonight. And I wondered, is that a warning for you, sir? Well, the, the farmer got a little shaken, but kind of brushed it off and, and went back to his house. But later that afternoon, he starts to get nervous. He calls for the doctor. The doctor comes out to his house, gives him a thorough examination, and the doctor says, don't worry, the richest man in the valley is not going to die tonight. So the, the farmer invites the doctor to stay for dinner. They, uh, he, they remain there smoking cigars and having drinks later that night. About 10 o'clock at night, a knock comes on the door. The farmer, a little nervous, gets up to answer the door. And here's one of his younger hired hands and says, Sir, I'm sorry to bother you so late, but I thought you'd like to know. Old Hans died tonight. <laughs> you know what makes us Christians rich in the sides of God? When we praise God, when we do good and sacrifice so others can know Christ, and when we are generous and good givers. That is some of the practical advice we get for living our lives. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us not only his insights but his knowledge of Scripture to answer questions that we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with Him. Pastor Brock, in light of what your sermon was all about, where should Christians give their money? Mm -hmm. Jackie, uh, a certain preacher is coming to the Twin Cities that I've seen on TV and he, he talks about these Christians that complain that I have a jet. And he just starts going on and on about how I would, you know, I don't think it's a sin for a Christian to have a jet if he really needs it to fly all over the world. This pastor bothers me. And I, I give money to people that I know when I, I give it to them, it's not going to go for their Cadillac or for their jet. It's going to go to reaching people for Christ. And the way you can tell that, when you give to a place, first ask, are you a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, ECFA? Because like Billy Graham and lots of Christian ministers are part of that because they have rules that are checked on to make sure the money goes where it's supposed to go, ECFA. Okay. Or I, give to the pastor study because we, we got a pretty good board that are 
I'm not driving a Cadillac, Jackie. So anyway. But, you know, I, how do people find that information? Yeah, just, you know, go to, if, if you're thinking of giving to Samaritan's Purse, run by Billy Graham's son, tremendous organization, go to their website, there's the seal. And if you don't see the seal, call them up, call the phone number up and say, are you a member of this? And, and again, if you're not a member of it, it doesn't mean you're a bad minister. We we're such a shoestring operation, we're not on it because you have to get audited every year and it's a lot of money. But, so it doesn't mean if you're not part of it that you're, you're up to shenanigans. But Jackie, how can people give to some of these TV ministries where it's all about money, money, money? I mean, I, I won't name them, but there's certain preachers on TV that are embarrassing. Well, that kind of leads to my second part of the question is, how do you know if something is reputable? Um, I mean, I guess I'm yeah. thinking back to the Crystal Cathedral mm -hmm. and Robert Schuller. Yeah. And my parents watched Robert Schuller mm -hmm. faithfully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was that a scam? Well, I don't know that I would say Robert Schuller was a scam. I, what bothered me about Schuller was not so much the Crystal Palace, the big church. All, he he rarely preached Christ crucified. It was all about positive things. He was the, the older version of Joel Osteen. It's all about happy and, and you'll be prosperous and God will bless you and just put that smile on your face. You're going to get that better job. And I'm thinking, once I've heard Joel Osteen talk about Christ's death on the cross for our sins and resurrection. Once. And so I give money to places that really preach Christ crucified. Okay. How do you know if it's a reputable place other than that seal? Yeah. Just the seal? Well, the seal is just one way. There's also, and I, I don't have the website, there's a very good website that has gone through all these charitable organizations and they rate them. And like, like Samaritan's Purse probably gets a 10 and some of these other preachers probably get a 1. And I, I wish I would have brought that. But there are websites that, that charity accountability, I would just, uh, charity accountability rating, I would put that into Google and see what you get. Okay. So are you saying a pastor, should a pastor marry a couple if they're living together? You know, we just talked about fornication. And Jackie, uh, I was at a garage sale this last week, Jackie. Surprise. Three, three older women, and I'm just, I'm going through the junk and I'm hearing them talk. Yeah, my daughter lives with her boyfriend from South America because it's easier on, on their situation. And, oh, well, my, my daughter isn't married and she's not married to her live-in boyfriend because she finds she has better job opportunities as a single mom than she would as a married mother. And I'm hearing all this and I'm thinking, does the fact that God is against premarital sex even matter to these women? First Corinthians 6 says that these, these kids aren't going to heaven unless they repent. Does, that, does God matter to these elderly women? So Jackie, oh, I'm sorry, what was your question? <laughs> is, should, a, should a pastor oh, marry a couple of their You know what together? I would do? When, when a couple would come to me and they're living together and they want me to marry them, I would put in their face, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, fornicators don't go to heaven. And I, I will say to them, this is a serious sin. Are you willing to repent, ask God's forgiveness, and live separate between now and the wedding? And if they'd say yes, I'd marry him. Often, you never saw him again. Thanks for being with us. We pray that God would grant you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? 
you may do so at pastorstudy.org or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and